If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Oh, what's this? Zenny's 3D virtual try-on. Pretty cool, right? Wait, are those prices real? Do they have glasses for men? Yep, they also have affordable blue light glasses. Seriously? At those prices, get them all. I like where this is going. Zenny.com. Prescription glasses starting at $6.95. From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Hi everyone, yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill and welcome to Online with Bill Alexander. Here at italknet.com and also on WMCK.FM. So the question tonight is, what is happy? Are you happy? Am I happy? <laughs> How do we find happiness? Well, we have an individual on the phone line tonight, Michaela Renee Johnson, and we're going to be talking to her. Michaela, how are you doing this evening? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing real good. So the idea of happy, um, we're getting, we're in southwestern Pennsylvania where I'm sitting right now. We're getting through the winter doldrums, and a lot of people have seasonal affective disorder, and everybody is just blah. So they're, they're saying that they're not happy. They're just getting going, trudging on day after day after day until we finally see some nice weather. But is there a way that we can deal with this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the thing about happiness is that, you know, people are looking for this magic cure that's going to create a sense of happiness all the time. And that definitely, in my opinion, doesn't exist. And so what you're describing is, a little setback, as I would refer to it in life, where the weather is something that um, is threatening to steal your happy factor. So what I believe is that we all have to seek uh, the quick reset in the face of unhappiness and how that might work with seasonal affective disorder is finding that thing throughout the day that you can determine is beautiful and makes you happy. So it might be something simple like, I get to enjoy a cup of tea in the winter time where I don't really drink tea in the summer. So I have a favorite tea and that brings me a moment of happiness. Or perhaps it's noticing something outside that is beautiful only in the wintertime that doesn't exist in the summertime. Those sorts of things. And those are the windows to happiness when we're feeling unhappy. So what, what it sounds to me like is we take, we do it in little moments, not big steps that we try to help Precisely. ourselves actually get through those difficult moments and finding the positive, no matter what it may be, just to keep us moving to the next moment. Yeah, and a good example would be, you know, you're sitting in traffic and you're going to be late for something and you find all those emotions starting to kind of rumble up inside of you and you're starting to get less and less happy 
the radio becomes annoying, you turn it off real quickly, and you're now you're just kind of angry and your day is feeling very hot and ruined. And that's when you can take that moment and look outside and say, okay, I'm stuck in this traffic. I'm, I'm here now. This is where I'm going to be. So what can I find in this moment that can create a little sense of happiness for me? And maybe it's taking a minute to close your eyes and do a little meditation or looking at a beautiful bird that's sitting on a, you know, a post light, something like that. Those are, those are the little ways that we seek to reinsert happiness and to reset in the face of something that's making us unhappy. Because of the society we live right now, it seems like we it's immediate gratification over and over and over again. And people, I don't think they know what their own happiness is because of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're seeing what other people's idea of happy is, and they're trying to put themselves a round, a round peg into a square hole. And are you noticing that also? Mm, so much to what you said there, but just to kind of pick out one piece of it is that I'd like to remind people that that window to other people's happiness is actually probably only a fraction of something that they are really passionate about or enjoy doing in their life. You're not seeing the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day right. um, that they live mundane or that they have bills to pay and, and things that upset them and stuff like that. So. Um, what social media has done is it's really created this like glorified version of the best part of anything that can bring us happiness. Like that one time we made a killer meal or that one time that we did a fab, fantabulous road trip, something like that. So how long have you been a psychotherapist? 11 years. And explain to my audience what a psychotherapist is. Yeah, so I, I sit down with people, I listen to them with a non-judgmental ear, and try to offer them some insights to how they can gain some clarity, speak their truth with grace, live a courageous life of authenticity, and hopefully their best life. Now, are, you said you started 11 years ago. What major changes have you seen from uh, 2008 to 2020? Well, most notably that people, it's not as taboo as it used to be. People have started to kind of embrace the idea of mindfulness. It's the commonly used term now. Um, people have embraced things like meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy tools like coloring in mandalas, like coloring books, things like that. Right. So I've seen a lot of the tools that we've been suggesting for years start to become more commonplace and they're popping up on magazines and, you know, in the, in the grocery stores even. Now, is is it, is it all generations or just a certain age group and below? I mean, it's really for all generations, there seems to be a heightened awareness and acceptance of the fact that a lot of our physical ailments do start somewhere within our emotional being as well. So I'm starting to see it kind of expand in that way, which is really great. Young kids actually are getting a lot of the tools um, starting in elementary school. My son came home the other day saying that they do a program called Go Noodle. And he said, we take three deep breaths in and then out through <laughs> our nose. And, you know, so I think they're starting to kind of incorporate that mindfulness and, and, and breathing exercises and things like that with even the real littles. Now, what is what is the clientele that you work with? I primarily work with individual women, couples, and teenagers, and um, I really like those populations. One of the things that I've seen lately, which has been really interesting, is this age range from like 19 to 24 okay. um, has started to kind of pop up more, and they are so committed to their self to their self awareness and their self help, and and um, it, it's just really neat to see that population, such a younger 
generation um, embracing this idea that, hey, I can talk to somebody, I can get outside my comfort zone, and I can start to live a better life than I'm living right now. So why are you seeing adolescents, women, couples, but not men? I don't work with men and I don't work with children. And it's just because over the years, I've um, kind of found my niche that I seem to communicate best with. And it brings me great happiness to work with the populations that I work with. Okay. Where, I mean, there's definitely a need to work with, you know, men and littles. But for me, it just wasn't my best area of expertise, I guess. So I'm, I'm on your website right now, which is uh, uh, com, And I'm looking at it and it says Counseling Life Coach. And one thing that interests me here, it says um, that you're able to do appointments online via FaceTime or Skype sessions. How effective is that? You know what's funny is when I started this this whole thing 11 years ago, I said to my then boyfriend, and I wasn't even married at the time, I said, I really think that there is a market for like online counseling. He said, that's crazy. Nobody's going to want to go sit on a computer and talk to a therapist. And then, of course, um, companies like BetterHelp and eTherapy took off and the online um, industry has just blown up. And for me, when I see those kinds of people, it's because they've sought me out because of perhaps my podcast, which is international, something like that. And they specifically are looking to do a type of work with me. So it's kind of nice that, you know, they don't have the physical limitation. I've also had a lot of clients that are in traveling industries where they're not in one town. Um, I had a client that was traveling with Disney, for example, on one of their ice shows. So it's really, I think, online has opened up the world of therapy to people who maybe didn't have the ability, especially in rural communities and things like that, to see a counselor before. So um, for me, it works really well. I I have a lot of clients who, um, you know, I've seen in person, and then something comes up and they say, hey, can we FaceTime today? And it's like, yeah, absolutely perfect, no problem. They're not feeling 100%. They don't want to drive in or they're out of town, but they still need to, to meet with me. So it works out pretty well. Have you noticed that uh, some of the people that do it online may feel intimidated by coming into your office, that it feels safer to them to be sitting in their own home? It just really depends. I mean, I think that my approach is very down-to-earth regardless of whether they're in my office or on the phone. I, I offer a lot of um, kind of casual dialogue, so I think that it, it creates a comfortable environment regardless, but the phone definitely, you know, or online computer, it definitely has its limitations in the way of kind of building rapport. Okay. Um, you also mentioned that you do a podcast that's international. The name of the podcast is? Be You Find Happy. Be You Find Happy. Now, how did that podcast start? <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of ironic. I, I was leading workshops um, through Be You Find Happy, which started out as a hashtag on Instagram. So you talk about social media earlier and really started to kind of blossom. And, and I saw people just really wanting more of this idea that if they were their authentic selves, that they would be able to reset their happy factor a little quicker. And so I was leading workshops and doing speaking engagements. And a friend of mine said, why don't you start a podcast? And I'd never even thought about it, but um, I said, sure, I'll give it a try. Why not? That sounds like something fun. I'm always looking for new, exciting ventures. And uh, started a couple podcasts and very, very quickly had some really popular, um, well-known celebrities on. And it kind of just grew from there. So what are the, some of the things you're talking about on your podcast? I mean, it's kind of different, and I pick it up on themes that I feel from my therapy sessions and from the world in general. So sometimes it's about 
um, you know, how to eat well. Sometimes it's about sleep. Sometimes it's about marital issues. So it just kind of, um, you know, varies depending on kind of the energy that's going on in the world at the time. Now, coming from and I and I've uh, actually you'll you'll find this interesting, but I was a child and adolescent therapist 30 years ago. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, that and talk radio and podcasting, it all fits in together. Um, (laughs) When you when you uh, tell people about this, do they ask you what you actually do? People ask me that a lot, um, like my son. <laughs> He's eight and a half. Um, he says, so do you fix people? <laughs> and I say, no, I don't fix people. But I offer them ideas on how they can fix themselves. <laughs> so it's kind of my eight-and-a-half-year-old version of it. Well, which which makes a lot of sense. And um, you said that you're working with young adults. Um, what are some of the, thing that you, the things that young adults are dealing with now? Oh, boy. Um, Social media. I used to see a lot of the bullying, and that seems to have settled down a lot. Um, But what I see is a lot of, uh, well, we would call it in the therapy world, borderline personality traits or histrionic traits where, you know, cutting behaviors and things like that, where they're trying to gravitate towards some sort of attention, good, bad, or otherwise. And, um, you know, and a lot of parents who don't know how to respond to that and become very fearful of, you know, suicide ideation and things like that. So that's what I've been seeing a lot more of lately. Now, when you're dealing with with uh, individuals like this, are you trying to give them other solutions so they don't cut themselves? Because from what I have dealt with in the past, the kids make the comment that they don't feel anything. And that's one of the reasons why they're cutting themselves is because they want to feel something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ask them straight up, how's that working for you? Yeah. What are you getting from that? And um, would you like to consider that there might be some other solutions that could actually gather the feelings that you're hoping to create from that cutting behavior? And um, usually they're on board with that. They don't, they don't typically have, you know, what they're getting from their friends, um, is drama and what they're getting from their parents is also drama. So right. when they come to a counselor who sits with them and just talks to them very humanly and is not impressed at all, you know, doesn't have any kind of reaction when they show their arm or their leg or something, mm-hmm. just flat. Um, it seems to kind of actually jolt them a little bit like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting any reaction out of this. So maybe I should consider having a conversation with this person about what they're describing to me, which is that I do want to feel something different than what I'm feeling from what I'm doing. I know that sounds kind of roundabout, but basically I just don't react to it at all. And that's not the reaction they're used to getting. Right. Now, some of these uh, young adults you've dealt with, um, especially the, the uh, young ladies, are you dealing, are you working with them when they get older also, or do they graduate and move on? You know, my style and I tell people from the very, very beginning is I don't want you to be here forever. Okay. So let's let's get you a lot of tools. Let's get you armed and let you get you out back out in the world living your life. And then if you need to come see me because something new has come up or something has re-triggered you, then I'd love to see you again. Um, And what's funny is that I had a girl when she was five back when I was working with children. She sees me now and she's 14. Okay. So, um, you know, her brother actually died when she was young, which was why she first came to see me. And now she's got some stuff coming up as a teenager um, because she's now going through right around the age that her brother died. So mom's 
got some stuff going on. And so I do, I do see them years later, um, which is kind of an interesting thing. I've had a couple kiddos that I started working with when they were 16 and then they have reached out to me. They've gone off to college and now I see them via FaceTime or Skype and they're away at college. So that's, that's kind of um, another interesting dynamic that comes up. But um, yeah, I, my ideal world is that they would be doing so well that they wouldn't have to see me, but I love that I can be a safe place if they need to come back because something's come up. Okay. Which, which sounds uh, uh, very interesting. Now, when you do the marriage counseling or the couples counseling, how does that work? Ooh, that's just my favorite. So that's, (laughs) that's what I, that's my, that's my favorite. Okay. um, Typically I've got to get buy-in by the person who doesn't want to be there first. Right. Right. (laughs) um, That's my very first session is usually all about figuring out which one's trying to not be there. (laughs) Which one was the initiator. Um, but again, I speak very down to earth with couples. I educate them a lot about um, fight or flight. I worked with a, um, an emotionally focused approach. So I, I don't really care what the day to day arguments are that are coming up in the family. I can guess they're usually about finances, kids, you know, communication, things like that. They're all generally the same. But what we really strip it down to is the narratives that we tell ourselves about our spouse and about ourselves in the marriage and start working from that perspective. So um, one of the main issues you're noticing is uh, communications between them? It usually is some breakdown in communication that is why they come in. Prior to that, it was probably a difference in parenting, a difference in finances and how to spend money um, or life goals. But, yeah, it's usually when the communication breaks down and the arguments start becoming rapid fire quickly at the smallest things that that I finally see them. Now, I don't usually have a lot of couples that come in before they get to that point. Now, the question I have, because my wife and I have been married for 23 years now, and are you dealing with, thank you, are you dealing with um, newlyweds, uh, couples have been married 5, 10 years, or are you dealing with couples that have married 25, 30 years, or is it a, a pretty much everybody in between? I would say it's all. So I've, I've had a couple that I saw before they got married. Okay. Um, when they were just dating. And then, you know, I've had a couple couples that way. And then I've had some that have been together, you know, five, six years. And I have quite a few that are, that are upwards of 30 years. That's what I was kind of curious about, because I can imagine that the one individual in there not thinking that this type of counseling would work and being reluctant to actually go there. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, that's an important part of the very first couple of sessions is acknowledging those those trepidation feelings and feelings of um, like hopeless feelings right. of that, you know, we're already past it. It's done. There's, if we're here, it's because we're already over kind of thing. Interesting. It just um, that that's one thing that um, I've always found interesting is being able to do couples counseling because you're not working with one individual. You're working with two with two different personalities, two different mindsets, and two different ways of communicating with each other, and you're in the room, and sometimes I hate to say this, I imagine that you're an um, you're you're the mediator in between the two. Yeah, I don't tolerate that in my sessions. So if they start um, doing that, I say, hey, if you guys would like to just argue and scream at each other, you're welcome to go do that outside the parking lot. Okay, but we're actually trying to get some work done here, and so I'd like to model how we can communicate a little bit better than what you're doing right now. And I kind of squash that in the butt right when it starts, because I don't want to be in the middle of it, just like their kids don't want to be in the middle of it. Right. Just like their friends don't want to be in the middle of it. Yeah. 
Um, uh, so I you... try to model a little better than, you know, I say, let's kick it down a notch. Let's just take a deep breath and, and, and pause, you know. Have you ever had a situation where you're dealing with a a uh, a young teen, and you're also dealing with the parents in the same in in the same uh, setting? Uh, nine times out of ten. Really? Yeah. That's oh yeah yeah most definitely. And and a lot of my training was done in the in the hospital setting, working with fifty one fifties. So parents who brought teenagers in because they cut or did something like okay. that, and then they. Um, both had to be in the room, but you know, in California, minors can consent at 12 years old I didn't realize to their that. own treatment. Yeah. So, um, I'm real specific with the parents that, um, that this is the child's session and that I only share with the parent what has already been discussed with the child. Mm-hmm. And I say child, but it's someone 12 plus. Right. Um, but when I'm working with the teen, I will say also, hey, this is something we need to bring mom or dad in on. This is something that would be a great area for us to communicate, and this would be a safe space for you to have those dialogues with them. So why don't we invite mom in for the next um, half hour of the session? Or why don't we invite her in next week to talk about this kind of a thing? So I'm always trying to encourage that open communication between the two of them. But first and foremost, I'm trying to create a safe environment for the team to really get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on. Have you noticed a lot recently with um, gender issues? Yeah, I'm not so much where I live. I mean, you would think I'm in Northern California, but um, where I'm at, I'm in a relatively rural community. I've had a handful, um, but it's not typically uh, an issue that I see very often in my practice. Um, Because that that interests me because we are seeing it um, in our daily lives now. And it's becoming more acceptable, but yet in a lot of families, they may see it, they say they accept it, but when it's their own child or someone in the family, they have a difficult time doing it. Um, And I think that's really true of any change that we bring to a relationship that we're in, whether it's a gender identity change or getting sobriety change or whatever it might be, anything that kind of threatens what somebody has already decided is their structure has the potential to do that. So um, I see that I see that in a lot of ways, but not always with um, but not always with gender identity in my okay. field. But definitely that does exist. Because I, I find that interesting. And, and when going back to the idea of happiness, have you seen individuals stuck in situations that those situations are preventing them from being happy? I. The individuals that are are struggling with the issue with what whatever issue it may be, yeah, yeah, I definitely think that um, you know the fear of letting people down or the fear of what I would call a social detachment is a very strong, powerful emotion that um, you know it's it's rooted in our limbic system as as humans to be social creatures, and so. When there's a threat of us not fitting in, whatever that looks like, um, immediately we kind of go into that fight or flight space, which is a completely um, irrational mindset. It's not, you know, we're responding from a place that is for pure, from pure survival. So it's not maybe as calm and logical and tends to be a little bit more dramatic. Okay. Um, are you noticing um, in, in where you are, the part of the country you're in, that mental health um, therapy like you do has become more acceptable than it was, say, 10 years ago? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen that for sure. And I think that it's a good thing. Because I think I'm noticing more here because I know people that do um, do that are mental therapists that they do this and they're and they're saying that a lot of the clientele would rather sit and talk with someone than take a medication, which, in my opinion, it's you're better off that way um, to be able to deal with those situations because a med is not preventing it. Now, there are cases that are going to need medication, but for the most part, a lot of this can be talked through. Yeah, I mean, I tell people that, look, if you're if you get thrown into a major league baseball field and you've got to you've got to hit the bat and that ball is coming at you at 90 miles an hour, you either have to learn those skills on how you're going to hit that ball or you've got to take something to slow the ball down. Right. right. And so how I see medication is it's going to slow the ball down for a little while. But you're still out there in that environment, and right. the minute that that medication is gone, you're not going to be able to hit that ball because you haven't learned the skills necessary to do so. Right. So what I like to say is let's let's start with the skills and see if that creates a healthy enough space for you to hit the ball. And it doesn't have to go far. It could be a bunt, but is that <laughs> enough? And if not, sure, let's have a medication plan that involves you also learning the skills simultaneously because it's not necessarily such a bad idea to slow the ball down for a little bit enough that you can learn the skills. Because if you're so heightened that you can't even see the ball coming, then that's not going to help you either. Um, And that's actually a very good analogy. I would have never put it that way, but that's very good because it it makes it understandable for um, the average person. Because the bad thing about it is we see these pharmaceutical commercials on TV and it makes it sound like if you take this, all your troubles will be gone. And like you said, the troubles are still there. They just may be slowed down a little bit so you now can react to them, but yet you're still going to need that support to be able to react to them. Exactly. And the trouble with those medications is they don't really show you that, you know, once you start that course, unless you're going to try to learn those skills at the same time, you're going to become dependent on that. And that's where you're going to be five, ten years from now in the same spot. Now, of your clientele that you have, are they taking medication along with the therapy or are they just having the therapy? It's, I'd say for my clientele, it's about 30% oh, really? are on some sort of anxiety medication or depression medication. But most of the population that I'm working with tend to be a little bit more organic, um, okay. a little bit more hippie minded. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and that might just be where I'm at in Northern California. But um, so I'd say 30%. And of that 30%, I would say uh, 5% of them really need to be on a medication while they're learning the skills because they just can't operate or function in life without it right now. And and, and hippie-minded people, you don't think of them having problems. They just coast through life. (laughs) Yeah. Are they self-medicating is what you're saying? Um, Well, you know, or they're just, they have a belief that is like, you know, medication would be a last resort if I'm on okay. my kind of thing. I'm going to try everything else instead. Gotcha. You know. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, there's probably some self-medicating going on. <laughs> Well, Michaela, I want to take a brief time out here, and I want to come back and talk to you about this book, The Mouse in the Machine Shop, when we come back. So uh, I'm going to put you on hold, and we're going to take a brief break. Uh, Guys, you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com. 
The National Safety Council says if you don't have seat belts, get them. If you do have seat belts, use them. Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumkey is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumkey will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumkey. Apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Hey. What's up? Thinking about you. XOXOXO. Want to snuggle? Dot, dot, dot. JK. Hit me back. You getting these texts? Question mark. We should hang later. I miss you. Holla at your boy. Holla back. Holla back. Holla back. Are you at home? Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. Are you with your ex? You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that's not cool.com. That's not cool. <laughs> WMCK.FM, italknet.com, and I came up in rotation that was not intended to play the Angry Robot, but it did, and it may be a good thing with Mikhail on the phone right now. Um, do you have people doing aggressive texting to each other? No, oh boy. Yeah, and I'm guilty of it myself, so <laughs> I think that's just part of the world that we live in. Um, you mentioned earlier about instant gratification, and it's just so easy when we're ticked about something to grab our phone and kind of spew on somebody. Um, I've definitely done it. So, yeah, I see that a lot for sure. Um, one thing I, I think it is, it's also um, it's the it's communication that you can do, and it's passive-aggressive because you're not – reacting to the, or that person's not seeing you directly they can't respond but yet if they don't respond fast enough you get it then get angry at them so again it's it's a double-edged <laughs> sword it'd be easier just to pick up the phone and call them in my opinion but anyhow so you wrote a book the mouse in the machine shop explain to me who freddie king jr is <laughs> so so my husband is actually a machinist okay and um it's the, the story kind of originated on a true <laughs> event, actually. We had a machinist who found a mouse in his um, Arizona iced tea can. Oh, was <laughs> and, it alive uh, or dead? When he was taking it, no, it was alive. Oh. He was taking a sip of it, and the mouse popped out 
like in his mouth. So I actually have a video of the mouse popping out of the can with these huge ears, and it kind of became a joke. Um, and then shortly after that, we had a machine breakdown, and we were laughing that it was probably the mouse getting revenge. Like okay. he had probably chewed the wires. So it actually was kind of um, this story that started to be told over time and a joke actually. And I, all of my books have some sort of like life lesson experience, right. um, at least the children's books, especially. And in this one, it's about a mouse who is um, trying to be very brave. And um, so it, it kind of inspires kids to think about ways that, um, you know, they can maybe go outside of their comfort zone and try something that they wouldn't necessarily be be willing to try. And my son actually helped formulate that story quite a bit. Oh, so. really? Um, so how many children's books have you written it? Uh, four or five. Oh, that's wow. sad. I don't know the exact count, but it's four <laughs> or five. <laughs> that's that's kind yeah. of interesting. So, um, oh, and you all, I'm also looking at the website here that you have Go Wally. Um, a Wally's a puppy who just yeah. can't seem to focus or stay on task. Yeah, he's a, he's a little guy with symptoms of ADHD. And actually, golly, Wally, um, so Walter is actually our dog. And he became a pet assisted therapy dog, but he very much had symptoms of ADHD as a puppy. And that also follows a true story there on his process of finding out that there's a time to be crazy and hyper dog and there's a time to, to be focused and calm dog. And so that's a great one. Vegetable souffle is a really great story that um, my son and I actually kind of came up with together as a bedtime story about a little boy who goes to... Um, he, he doesn't want to eat his vegetables, so he stuffs them in his pocket and feeds them to the chickens after dinner. Okay. And his mom keeps saying, wow, you keep eating your vegetables, so this weekend we're going to make a chocolate souffle. And then that weekend he goes down to get the eggs from the chicken coop and brings them up and starts to make this delicious chocolate souffle with his mom. And as the eggs crack open, all of his vegetables fall out. So oh. it's kind of a fun story about telling the truth. Interesting. And, and being honest, Yeah. Um, there's another one on your book site. It says the teetering on disaster, happiness in spite of life's setbacks. That's kind of where everything began. So teetering on disaster started as an online journal before blog was the word okay. and uh, eventually turned into a memoir about how I was raised, which was on a rural piece of land in the Sierra Nevadas with no running water and no electricity. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it became, um, it really kind of took off, and it's actually what launched my uh, my therapy career. So I, I ended up, um, at the time, was seeing a therapist, which is kind of when everything started, and started going to school for um, psychology because I was working in the marketing field and started to realize that there was something I was missing. And so that journey has kind of come completely full circle and teetering's actually recently gotten a lot of recognition. Um, it's funny how that happens. And uh, this past year won two major awards. So huh. that's been exciting. Um, yeah. That's really nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, so are you, are you, do you like writing? Do you uh, plan on doing more writing? You know, it's always been something that I've used as my own therapeutic tool and outlet. Um, I didn't even realize that that's what it was called when I started writing. I got my first journal in the third grade at a birthday party. It was a little teeny tiny, like three by five journal. And that's when I first started writing. I actually still have that journal. And then when I was 14, I was published in our um, in the Sacramento Bee, which is a fairly large newspaper. 
Um, and it was about truth and lying. And so got some recognition from that and was actually invited to a journalism conference at the White House. Um, so I started writing at a very young age, and it always stuck uh, throughout my career in marketing and then really started to kind of incorporate that into psychotherapy and helping others. So I'm going through the, the, uh, the website here, and it talks about um, location and stuff you do with, I guess, acupuncture, stuff like that. Now, I'm going to use me as an example, and I want to know what you can help me with. I have classified, and other people have, that I'm a pessimist. I see everything <laughs> negatively. I I mean, it just, I see the glass half empty. I don't see it half full. I do have my moments. But again, I get so, so caught up in myself that I don't see what's happening around me, and I can't appreciate what's good around me. So what suggestions would you have for me? I mean, my first thought as you were talking was somebody somebody broke you very young. Um, it, it, you know, broke your heart in some way. Yeah, we won't, we won't go there because or... uh, I'll get yelled at for that one. <laughs> so, but my first thought was, you know, maybe getting a little bit of closure with, um, with that narrative that you've told yourself because you created that story for the purpose of your own survival, probably at a very young age is my guess. Okay. And so that story has served you for a long time. It's protected you from um, getting hurt. It's protected you from making decisions maybe that were risky or could result in hurt. And so you've needed that narrative. And it sounds to me now from what you're describing is that you're saying, you know what, this narrative of, of me protecting myself in this way isn't serving me anymore, and I'm looking for something different. I'm looking to take more risks. I'm looking to open my heart a little bit. And so I would say um, put some closure on the narrative in some way. Have a conversation with it and, um, and decide, you know what, thank you. Thank you for, for being there and protecting me for a long time, and I'm ready to take risks now. I'm ready to open my heart a little bit to whatever may be from being a little more optimistic. Because the reason I say that is is because I'm noticing with my, my children, I have a 19-year-old, uh, 15-year-old, and a 12-year-old, that I'm starting to see a little bit of that in them, and I don't want them to have, mm -hmm. I don't want them to deal with that is what I'm saying. Because I want them to be able to experience everything they possibly can without that fear of failure. Um, not to say that failure yeah. is bad, but having that no, limit right. limit your choices or what you do. And again, you're right. It, it was a young age and it was a family member um, that kept telling me that what I was doing was never good enough, that I was never going to achieve, never going to do this, that or the other thing. And yet when I confront them about that, they tell me that it was their way of motivating me to inspire me to do better. Yeah, or it was their own fear. But, which is, you know what, I think you're probably more right than, than, than not because it was. And again, it, it is frustrating when you're an individual like this that you, you, you get so um, stuck in that, um, that mindset that everything can be going perfectly fine. You have a wonderful day. And two minutes in the car, your mind just switches and goes in a totally different direction. And all of a sudden you're miserable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to circle back on what you said about the kiddos, I, th I think that the big thing there is we're definitely going to screw our kids up. As parents, we just have to like accept 
that we come into each situation with all those experiences of our past, right? We we walk into the hotel with our baggage. We don't pick it up when we get there. Okay. So, um, so the situation there is that as long as you're modeling that, that's what your kids are going to see. Right. If you can start modeling that in the moment, you have an awareness that maybe you didn't make the best choice or the choice that served you the most, okay. then you're also teaching them, hey, it's okay to come at something with a pessimistic mindset for a second because I can reset from that and recognize that there's something else and that maybe that I did take a pessimistic approach and that there was another option. And when they start to see your mind thinking in ways like that, then they're going to start thinking in ways like that. They're going to start looking outside the box to see other things. And then the other thing I tell parents too a lot is it's okay to, to make those those mess ups or to have those moments where you didn't react or choose the best that you could have. But all you have to do is circle back with your kids and say, Hey, you know, I reflected on this situation where I did this or um, I chose that. And I thought about it later and I could have done this or I could have done that. And I, I wish I thought about that in the moment, but I didn't. And I just wanted to let you know that's not on you. And I hope that if you're ever faced with this situation, that you might make a different choice as well. So we can always circle back and close those loops. And that that experience alone is modeling something for them. Them seeing your insight, them seeing your awareness teaches them that they can also be critical of themselves in a way that is healthy okay. and not in a way that is negative. Because another thing I noticed too, and in the line of work that I do full time, um, that a lot of people in my workplace congregate together and we all have the same mindset because we all feel safe around each other. But when you look and listen to them, they're also pessimistic. And how do you break out of that so you can actually, I mean, I like these people a lot, but how do you move on and try to get out of that? Because when you have other people pulling you down, how do you pull yourself back up? Yeah, that phrase, misery loves company, it comes from kind of what we were talking about earlier, where we're social creatures, we want to fit in. So it's easier to jump on the bandwagon and go along for the ride than it is to say, you know what, I think I'm going to hop off this one because this isn't serving me at all right now. And what's funny is that kids are often really good at pointing it out. Like my son the other day, I said, gosh, look at all the leaves are falling. Gosh, it's going to, it's going to be cold soon. You know, I found myself kind of spinning in that negative language. And then Instead of him being like, yeah, they're all dead, you know, he was like, but mommy, that's how the blossoms come back in the spring, you know, and and just that kind of like, duh, of course, it breathes new life, duh, you know, I think sometimes it just takes somebody being willing to step up and say, yeah, you know, that meeting really sucked, but those donuts were the bomb, <laughs> you know, just that little shift, like You're right. a tiny little insert there can really... And, and if there's one person who's willing to do that, then I think that can be really good. This happens all the time in family situations as well, right? We get on board with, like, this dinner is miserable, blah, blah, if we're out to eat and the server sucks and blah, blah, blah. And if one person can insert something different, that can make all the change. Now, there are times where I tell people, look, you've elevated past this group of friends that you have right now. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be friends with them forever, but this toxicity is pulling you down right now. So why don't you also find a friend or a person that you can hang out with that is at your energetic level? It's all right to have these people, but you're going to have to have someone who's on the other side of the lake. Okay. And that makes sense. Except if you're in that group, would other people want to come near you because they see you being part of that negative energy? 
I mean, I think I think that those vicious cycles have to have to stop by one person deciding that they're tired of that story, that that's just not working for them anymore. And the downside to that is that the one person who is opting to kind of back out of that usually becomes the, the fallout person because they, pe- uh, the other people don't understand. We talked earlier about change, right? right so right. you don't fit in with us now because you're not griping about our boss. Yes. So therefore, you are a risk you are a problem okay. your change does not fit our uh, what we're doing and that's and that's exactly what i was talking about earlier with you know whether it's gender identity or sobriety or just not being on the negativity bandwagon um so it's a big risk for the person who's willing to take it and that's why i always encourage that you've got to have someone else that you um can lean on as you're going through that time of transition who is already on the other side so change the narrative is what you're saying yeah, and have somebody who's along for the ride that okay. is already on the other side of that narrative. Now, I'm also looking somebody at... Somebody who's already able to support you. I'm also looking at the website. You have this nonprofit called For Kids. What's that about? Yeah, For the Kids. So we have a rural... We live in a rural area, and there's just a lot of gaps in what kiddos need here. Um, specifically where I am, we're surrounded by water, um, fast-moving swift rivers, and cold high mountain lakes. And so uh, the kids here didn't have a lot of water awareness. We usually have a death every year involving water. So we bring a couple of different missions to educate kiddos on um, on water safety. And then anytime that something happens in the community where we need quick money that doesn't have to go through a lot of red tape, like with the PTA or something like that, we're able to reach out. So okay. if a home burns down right before Christmas, we can quickly buy gifts for that family and clothes, things like that. So that's what For the Kids is all about. It's really just filling a gap in rural communities. Um, it sounds to me, and again, we've only been on the phone for about 45 minutes now. You're a very positive person that whenever there's anything that is that is down or something that needs fixed in your area, area or anything, you're there to pick everybody up and try to move forward. Am I correct? I mean, my my husband and son would definitely disagree at times. They would see the, <laughs> but but yes, in general, I would say probably yes. That's definitely my personality type. And most people that you would talk to, that you would ask, would say, "Oh yeah, Michaela's a fixer." You know, she's uh-huh. someone who is is going to make it right or cheer you up. Um, and my son will often joke like when something's not going well, I'll I'll make a little comment and he'll go. Because mommy's always happy. (laughs) It's not that I'm always happy. I definitely have, um, you know, my moments where I get really disgruntled or get really frustrated. I mean, this morning I had a heck of a day where it was just one of those one thing after another was broken, not working, wasn't effective. Like after another, after another, after another. And actually my assistant said, I think you need to reset your morning. And she's using my terms, right? Because I'm always saying, we need to reset. We need to reset. And I'm like, yeah. So I, um, you know, made an effort to get a beverage that I really enjoy, listen to a song that was calming, and just kind of like check myself. You know what? My day doesn't have to continue like this. I'm not going to embrace that idea that now my day's ruined because it started this way. I'm just going to choose something different. So it also says on here that you do workshops. What type of workshops do you do? My workshops are all pretty metaphysical, hippie workshops, so um, I do a lot with oracle cards and music. We listen to Alan Watts and then journal. Um, They're always in a group setting. Sometimes I incorporate art um, for subconscious insights, 
and uh, it's always a lot of fun. It's it's usually um, it's usually kind of one of those things where through subconscious processing, people have really big ahas. What are oracle cards? You know, they're, people call them all sorts of different things these days, but um, they're basically little cards that have a message of some sort. And I usually give them out in the beginning of a workshop or in the middle or in the end. And, you know, people start to draw an energetic connection to the okay. card that they took, that, that there's meaning in that that they needed right then. Um, because I've never heard of that before, but yet when you say that you're, you're, you're doing it with a hippie lifestyle, that sounds very interesting to me. Yeah. I consider myself to be a pretty like boho person okay. and kind of, you know, I grow, we, we have a very large garden. We catch our own fish. We live very organically okay. and I'm really big on geeking out in the stars and, um, energy in general and, and how we're all so interconnected. So that's just kind of a big part of my approach. I, I, I get a lot of messages from numerology and the animals and different things like that. Really? Um, how, how, what, what do you mean by, by uh, the animals? What, what messages are you getting from that? So I just tend to be more intuitive to, um, to things that I don't consider things to be random occurrences. I consider them to be like messages. So okay, example, I got that. I have. Yeah, I've been seeing 11-11. I mean, I saw one eleven on January 11th, um, today even, 333. I've been seeing numbers and sequences like that for the past month and a half, so I know that there's messaging there. Okay. And then, for example, um, the other day I was standing out in a parking lot, had a hawk fly overhead. Three days later, I was driving the car through the canyon, had a hawk swoop so low that I thought I was going to hit it. So kind of swerved and was like, whoa, what is that? Then got to my therapy office and literally right outside my therapy office, never seen before a hawk sitting on a tree right outside my window. So a hawk sighting, you know, three times in a period of three days. And so for me, that was some sort of message that was coming. Um, and, that, and that's what I mean in the way of animals. I, I had this crazy thing happen years ago. I'll never forget it. My son was very young. It was pouring rain in the middle of the night. I was driving down a country road and swore it was like a something lit up in my window and I swore it was like a big plastic bag or something like that didn't want to hit it but as I started so I slowed down as I started to get closer I'm like that is oh my gosh parked the car got out the thing did not move it was a white owl sitting in the middle of the road I mean unbelievable and then it looked directly at me and then it flew away and so I was like, well, that's obviously a message of some sort, you yeah. know, so I tend to take the, um, those sorts of experiences when they happen as meaningful as there's some sort of, you know, message for me in that. And I, I had the same situation with a hawk a few years ago that um, we would see them and I saw it in threes. But the last one I saw, it was actually sitting on my back porch. It was on the railing. And that wow. was the oddest because i didn't know how to react um it was probably what three maybe four years ago and i had i picked my my daughter up from school and it was just like what do you do i mean you just don't know how to respond to it and we stood there at the other end of the yard and waited and it took off but it was just one of those um it was an it was an awing experience because you've never seen an animal that close before. I mean, I can imagine what it felt like just to see the white owl that you saw in the middle of the road. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people sometimes just brush that off. You know, they don't have it's just it just is what it was and um where it sounds to me like you also felt that there was some sort of impactful meaning behind it um and maybe even at first i felt this when i started seeing uh and i'm i've been a numerology geek for a long time but when the one started appearing i actually started screenshotting my phone okay. and taking pictures of the ones as i was seeing it because at first i was actually a little afraid um but you know i i had a I had a connection moment where I realized exactly what was happening and actually started to feel kind of comfortable with them. When I saw them, I was like, Oh good. That's a good sign. <laughs> and again, that's very interesting. A lot of people don't realize that, but um, I guess um, those types of things, especially with um, native Americans, they mean a lot to them. And um, I was sure. reading something about the Hawk and unfortunately I can't remember what it is now. But um, I think if it's something that was going to be change or um, uh, change in the life or change in something when you see it, especially three times. And again, it's just yeah. it's just awe inspiring just to see something like that. And again, it makes you take take um, take perspective on what you're dealing with on a day to day life, that there could be something like this that's in, that's actually intersecting with you. So something must be happening because this doesn't normally happen. Right, because it's outside of the norm. And I think when we think about the fact that we are all at our most basic energetic beings, um, it makes sense that there could be that kind of connection. And, and I'm sure people listening to this can can relate to the moment where you thought of someone and then they called right like within the hour and you're like i was just thinking about you and i maybe haven't talked to you in months or something like that and and the, it's you know humans have only tapped into a fraction of our brain potential and we've only tapped into a fraction of the universe so to think that there couldn't be more that we haven't um explained yet would be silly you know, I, if you look at what humans have accomplished, even in 100 years or 200 years, you'd have to think that in another 200, 500,000 years, we're going to have so much more ability than we have now. But do you think that the, the way our, our culture is now that people are going to accept that because they have so much going on with technology and how busy their lives are? There's only going to be a few individuals that actually see that. Or do you think that there's going to be some type of crash that happens where everybody goes back, steps back and actually sees what they're dealing with in their daily lives? I often ask people if Armageddon were to happen, what is your skill? Because I think that that's an important thing for humans to feel empowered in such a technology-driven world. Can you grow a tomato? Can you sing? You know, are you an entertainer? What do right. you do? What do you offer that isn't your job, your 8-to-5 job right now that you have? And maybe your 8-to-5 job is your bartering tool, is what your skill would be. And that's fabulous as well. Um, but I do think I see people like understanding this idea of quieting the mind um, is incredibly powerful and that shutting down from technology is absolutely necessary. We've created light bulbs to create daylight 24-7 and that was never natural for humans and humans have not evolved to the point yet where we um, can completely tolerate that. So shutting down lights even at night, just, just that, just dimming lights can have a huge impact on your emotional psyche and how you attack the next day. So I think that we're starting to have some insight to the fact that humans have, have almost swung the pendulum a little far one direction. 
um, and have shut ourselves down to intuition altogether. And that's very true. I mean, for goodness sakes, as you say, the light bulb, now you have light bulbs that are mimicking, I can say it, daylight. So you can have daylight 24-7. And again, it's still not the same thing. I mean, I can't imagine that being good for you. In southwestern Pennsylvania, we saw the sun today, which seeing the sun being out in the sun was just amazing, that feeling, even though it was cold, but you were still able to be out there and actually being able to enjoy it for a period of time that, unfortunately, later this week, we're going back into the cold and dreariness. But again, you got that that, that respite of uh, sunlight that we don't normally see around here. And again, it does affect people's mood. And it makes them act differently because um, they're not used to it. Definitely. I mean, I think that anytime you can tap into nature in, in a way that inspires some sort of hope or happiness is, is going to ultimately be positive. And it sounds like you guys got a little window of that today. Yeah, <laughs> a very little window, but we'll take it. We'll take it when we can get it. So we <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. Um Michaela, thank you very much. Before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to tell my audience? I just think that, um, you know, if if you've listened to this and you're inspired in any way, if you'd like to have more of this, you can certainly check out my podcast, Be You, Find Happy, uh, for more inspiration and tips and tricks on how to set you on your way to a happier life. And just being mindful of the fact that um, happiness is a constant reset. So not to get down on yourself as you're seeing, you know, people's beautiful curated Instagram feeds and things like that. Michaela, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to take your advice tomorrow. And if uh, (laughs) it and hopefully it starts to change. And when it does, I'll let you know. Okay. thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Bill. Take care. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Michaela Renee Johnson here online with uh, yours truly, Bill Alexander. Uh, website is Michaela Renee. Be you find happy. I think that's really important for all of us that we have to deal with is finding our happy. And again, it's in the society that we live in right now. It's very hard to do. And we'd like to thank Michaela again for joining us. Um, don't forget to check out the website, italknet.com. That's where you can find me. That's where you can find the podcast. That where you can find the streaming video and all that other fun stuff. And um, I'm glad you were able to be a part of the show tonight. And we'll be uh, talking to you um, next week, the week after that, as we have guests lined up. If you'd like to find out more about our guests, all you have to do is go to italknet.com net.com click the calendar and you will see our guests uh, that that are going to be on and when we're going to be broadcasting live so if you'd like to be a part of the program you can give us a call and uh, we'll share that phone number with you whenever we're taking live calls so again i appreciate it everybody you have a great night and don't forget to check us out at italknet.com and also listen to us on wmck.fm i am out of here everybody you have a great night and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly Bill Alexander.
Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumkey is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumkey will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumkey. Apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot.